0: The first reading tonight is from Psalm 142, which can be found on page 446 of the Pew Bibles. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, It is you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am desperate I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me.
1: The second reading is Romans chapter 6, and that's on page 799. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer your parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace by no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves you are slaves to the one whom you obey whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God That though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness." When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord.
2: Father, thank you for the chance to gather. You tell us not to give up meeting together, and so we, we pray that you would use this time to, to teach us and train us and rebuke us and spur us on, that we might love you more. And I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. As we're in Romans chapter 6, and this chapter is a liberating chapter, because it reminds us of our identity in Christ. It reminds you who you are if you are in Christ Jesus, if he's your Lord and your Savior. Uh, I don't know whether uh, your Christian life is a bit like a a spiritual uh, roller coaster. You have these big spiritual highs and these big spiritual lows, and you have these big peaks and these big troughs, and you, you, you fluctuate between delighting in God and just struggling with God. And you have these depths of despair where you're guilty and you're burdened and then you're bathing in grace again. Ups and downs, highs and lows, and it can be exhausting. And here's the reason it can be exhausting, because you haven't understood who you are in Christ. My aim for tonight's sermon is to to get you off the roller coaster and onto the carousel. Instead of these massive highs and lows, let's just have these little bumps, little highs and lows, because you know who you are in Christ. Think back to the day when you first believed. If you're a believer here tonight, think back to the day when you first put your trust in Christ. And that was a day that you understood grace. That was the the day when you, you looked at Jesus and you thought, wow, you loved me enough to die for me. And... Uh, my selfishness uh, and my pride and my slander and my self-pity, and you pay for it all, and I'm free. And those early days as a Christian, if you're like me, where you were, you were just bathing in grace. You just couldn't, couldn't understand how God could love you that much. But if, like me, you've been a Christian for a while, you have those, those big failures, where you give in to that sin that you thought you would never give into again, And you almost plummet the depth of guilt and despair and you feel wretched. But then you see grace again. No, Jesus died for that. I'm forgiven. I'm free. And you're bathing in grace again. See, here's here's my tension as a pastor. I'm desperate for us to understand grace. I'm desperate that we leave here each week knowing That God loves us so much, there's nothing that you can do to make him love you more, nothing to make him love you less. It's all about Jesus. I am desperate that you leave here knowing that he paid it all. I'm desperate that you leave here knowing that you're not perfect. Knowing that, that sin is still battling and raging within you, that you're not perfect yet. And so I long to see you wrestling with your sin and struggling with your sin and and longing to be more holy and more like Christ. But here's what I don't want to see. I don't want to see people accepting their sin. I don't want to see people saying, that particular sin, whatever it is for you, that is just too hard for me, and I've been battling for so long now, I can't be bothered anymore, it's all covered by grace, I'm forgiven, I'll just give up struggling. Because that's what is called cheap grace. You're presuming on grace that God doesn't really care anymore. So what what do I do as a preacher? I could preach more and more sermons on law, do this, don't do this, stop doing this, start doing this, but then you just leave each week either feeling guilty and burdened and condemned or you'd feel proud and arrogant because you've kept all those things. I could just preach grace week after week after week after week, and that might be a good thing to do, except you're called to change your life and to live in response to grace. And that's why Romans 6 is such a beautiful chapter. It does address your sin, but it reminds you about grace. It says the penalty has been paid, but your sin is still present. God's grace is super abundant, but you still need to make an effort. See, chapter 5 ended like this. Look at chapter 5, verse 20. The law was added so the trespass might increase. So when you saw saw the law and God says don't don't, uh, covet, suddenly You understood that you were coveting, and so you needed God's grace. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now here's the issue, chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? And The argument is, well, if grace is at its best when my sin is at its worst, then surely I might be doing God a favor. If I could just sin some more, I'd give God the chance to show how gracious He is. It would be like me saying, when I first became a believer, uh, what I was really uh, amazed at is that God had forgiven me of my slander and my gossip and my self-pity and my sexual immorality. And, you know, I'm feeling, feeling a bit distant from God, so why don't I go out tonight and slip back into slander and gossip and self-pity and sexual immorality, and that will give God the chance to show how gracious he is again. And Paul says, what a stupid argument that is. Verse 2, by no means. That is crazy. Now look at it with me. This is the key bit. We died to sin. The moment you put your trust in Christ, you have died to sin, so how can you live in it any longer? He's saying, you're a new person in Christ, so start living as a new person. Here's our key verse, it's on the screen, verse 11, 6 verse 11, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count yourselves, consider yourselves, recognize that in Christ, you're dead to sin, but alive to God. See, if you are a believer here tonight, those last three words, you are in Christ Jesus. That means you're united to Christ. You're one with your Savior. The death he died, he died for you. The life he lives, he lives for you. You're in him. But the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, they're not just historical events. You belong to it. You're part of it. So when he died, you died. When he rose, you rose again. So you're now a new being in Christ. Now what's this going to mean? Be, to be dead to sin, but alive to Christ. Let me tell you a story. Imagine that uh, there's a slave. We call him Johnny. And Johnny lives with this tyrannical master. And he's just under the control of this master who he doesn't really like. Sometimes life's fun, sometimes it's enjoyable, but he soon realizes that that life under this master is meaningless, and he is miserable, and he longs to escape. But he can't. He's trapped. There's a king who lives in a city, and this king is the most loving, gracious, kind master you could ever imagine. And, And this king loves Johnny with this amazing, undeserved love. He's got this great plan to release Johnny from captivity, uh, the plan's are unusual. He's going to kill Johnny. He's going to crucify Johnny. And, and one day the tyrannical master comes home and finds his slave, Johnny, just dead on the floor. And He's thinking, wow, I have no power over him anymore. He's dead. And, and then the king comes. He does the most amazing thing. He buries the body, and then he raises Johnny to life again. And he takes Johnny home with him a, as his son. And he lives in his house, and Johnny says, wow, thank you. You are the most kind, generous, gracious master. I want to live the rest of my day serving you. Now one day, Johnny's out shopping, and he bumps into his old master. And that old master is so nice to him and so pleasant. Come on, Johnny. Let's hang out for a while. Let's do the things we used to do. We'll have fun. Uh, just just so, uh, for one-off, just for old time's sake. And Johnny turns around to his old master and says, No. You have no control over me. You have no power over me. I'm dead to you. My new master, he is so much more beautiful and worth serving than you ever were. And friends, if you're a Christian here tonight, that's the story of your conversion. The moment you believed in Jesus, God says you are dead to sin. It has no power over you. And you have a new master who's given you life. And what a joy, what a privilege to serve him. Let's look at those two things, dead to sin. That's what he says in verse 2. He says, by no means we died to sin. That sin that once dominated you, that trapped you, that kept you in bondage and misery. Whatever it was for you, it could have been your tongue and the way that you spoke. It could have been the mind, the things that you thought about. It could have been your eyes and what you looked at. It could have been the way that you treated people. But it it entrapped you. But the moment you turn to Christ, you died to that old way of life. What does it mean to die to sin? He's not saying, listen carefully, he's not saying that you will no longer struggle with sin. He's not saying that you'll be insensitive to the temptations of your sin. Now that's a relief, isn't it? To know that until you meet your Savior, you're not going to be perfect. Perfect. So what does it mean to die to sin? Well, you died the same way that Christ died. Look at verse 10. He said, the death that Christ died, he died to sin once for all. Now, it cannot mean that, that Christ put to death his sin because he was sinless. Jesus died to sin once and for all in that he he paid the penalty for sin once and for all. He bore the consequences for sin once and for all. And if you're in Christ, then when he died for sin, you died for sin. The penalty that your sins deserve have been paid for in Jesus, and it has no power over you any anymore. And that's what he says in verse 6. He says, you know that your old self was crucified At Calvary, your old being, your old person, with your sinful nature, it was put to death at Calvary. And so you can wake up tomorrow morning and you can say, verse 6, I am no longer a slave to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from their sin. Isn't that a most liberating truth? You wake up tomorrow morning and you say, sin, temptation, temptation. Flee from me. You're not my master anymore. I don't belong to you. I'm dead to you. But it's more than that. Now what happened after Jesus died? He raised him back to life again. He's alive. And after you died to your sin, a resurrection has already taken place and you are alive today. The moment you believed you had new life with a new master whose name is Jesus... I think verses 3 and 4 sum it up best. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, and just another way of saying you're united with Christ, but you were baptized into his death. So his death was your death. You are one with him. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, but we didn't stay dead. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may now live a new life. He says, you're alive today in Christ because of Jesus. I think it was, was it last year, Ian, Ian Campbell, that, that I baptized you, or the year before? Two years ago. Uh, if you were down at the harbor, uh, you saw this water baptism. Water baptism is a great symbol of this truth. Uh, when the person goes under the water, you're saying... Actually, they're dead. They can't breathe. They're no longer breathing under there. You're dead to your sin. But you don't stay under the water, do you? You come back up out of the water, and you have air, and you have life, and you're new again. That's the symbolism here, that the moment you turn to Christ, you're a new person with a new master who is worth serving. So what's it going to look like for you and I to say we're dead to sin but alive in Christ. Paul tells you down in verse 12. There's something to stop doing and something to start doing. He says, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Don't let sin have any control over you. Don't obey it. Don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. What he's saying there is when you're tempted... By greed, just say no. Uh, when you're tempted to offer your ears to slander or to gossip, just say, no, you're not my master anymore. When you're tempted to offer your heart to money, just say, say, no, 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 that will not satisfy me. When you're tempted to be cruel or to be selfish, just say no. When you're tempted to be self-pitying, just say no, no. I don't belong to you anymore. But here's the most liberating truth. Saying no is never enough. If your Christian life was just about saying no, I can't go to that party, and I can't go out with that person, and I can't do this thing, and I can't do this, your Christian life would be full of burdensome guilt way down. You're not just dead to sin. You're not still under the water. God has raised you. You exist here today to live for Jesus, to live for a new master, to serve him, which is the most beautiful, joyful life you could live. Look how he puts it in verse 13. I love the second half of verse 13. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer the parts of your body that you once offered to sin, you now offer them to God as instruments of righteousness. It's the song that we sing, isn't it? Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands, they belong to You, God. Take my feet, let they belong to You, God. Take my ears and my eyes and my mouth and my intellect and my will. and It all belongs to You. Here I am, all of me. Take it all, all for Thee. It's such liberating teaching. He, he's saying, instead of offering your, your eyes to things that are wicked and impure, say no to that. Instead, offer your eyes to things that are pleasing to God and bring glory to Him. Instead of using your hands to work for, for sin and for wickedness, use your hands and put them to good use to serve a new master who is worth serving Instead of using your mind to think about things that are immoral and impure, start to use your mind to think about things that are lovely and noble and light and good and godly. Take my life, here I am, all of me. It belongs to you, God, because I'm now living for you. John Stott, before he died, he wrote in a biography that he, he wakes up every morning and says, Good morning, Lord Jesus. Now, what are we going to do together today? Good morning, Lord Jesus. What are we going to do together today? It's really the same prayer that Paul prayed after he first became a Christian. Acts 22, verse 10. He cried out, Lord, what do you want me to do? Here I am. How can I serve you, God? Every day I want to live for you. And how do you do that? And Paul tells you that in verse 16. He says, don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone to obey him as a slave... You're a slave to the one whom you obey. It's your choice. Who are you going to obey? If you're a slave to sin, that will lead to death. It will lead to eternal death. It will lead to hell. Or you can be a slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness. That's your choice. You can be a slave to sin. That can be your master. So you can wake up tomorrow, you can say, actually... I quite enjoy my selfishness and my pride and my arrogance and my sexual immorality. I'll just go there again. And if that's a choice that you make, and if you want to be a master to that, enslaved by that, the consequences are pretty horrific, the consequences of the death. Or you wake up and say, now I'm dead to sin because I'm in Jesus, and so I'm going to serve a new master. I'm a slave to what? Verse 16, "To, to obedience to doing what God says. It's pretty simple. That disciplined obedience to the Word of God. Oh, oh God, your Word is telling me that I need to love my enemies. I don't really want to do that. (laughs) No, I'm serving you, so I'll, I'll love my enemies and forgive them. Oh, Lord, your Word is telling me, do I really need to stop... Building treasures here on earth. I really quite like it. No, I'm dead to that. I've got a new master. I want to serve you. It's pretty simple. But he says in verse 17, thanks be to God that you used to be slaves to sin, but that's not any, any longer. That's your old being. Verse 18, you have been set free. You've been liberated. You've become slaves to righteousness. Now, how can I tell? How can you tell whether you really are in Christ, that you really are dead to sin and alive to Christ? Uh, Words words aren't enough. It's easy to say, I trust, I believe, I'm dead to sin, I'm alive in Christ. Uh, According to to Paul, the litmus test is not just your words, it's your lives. Imagine Johnny again. Uh, you see Johnny one day, and he, he's out in town one day, uh, and he's claiming to have a new master, this great, gracious king. But then you spot him, and he's hanging out with his old master again, and he's doing what his old master tells him to do, and you're thinking, he's saying one thing, but actually his lives are doing something, telling something different. And that's really what verses 19 to 20 are all about. Who are you going to serve? How are you going to live? Verse 19, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, now offer them in slavery to righteousness that leads to holiness. Because the assumption is, in verse 20 and 21, that you will now be embarrassed by your old life. You will look back on the days before you knew Christ and you'll be embarrassed by it. Verse 20, when you were slaves to sin... You were free from the control of righteousness. You didn't obey God. But what benefit did you reap? At that time, before you knew Jesus, what benefit was there from the things that you're now ashamed of? You're embarrassed by them. He says, I don't want to go there. It was a waste of time. Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free, now you're dead to your sin, now you become slaves to God. He's your master. The benefit is massive, isn't it? The benefit you reap leads to what? To holiness, to godliness, to purity, to be set apart like your Savior. And the result is life, eternal life. And the choice is yours. Who are you going to serve? Sin? Or your Savior? Will you live life entrapped by your sin, serving your sin? Or will you live life serving your Savior? saying I'm alive to Jesus. That's what it might look like. You wake up tomorrow and you think, I'd like to gossip today. I really like gossiping. (laughs) It makes me feel popular and important. No, no gossip today. Lord, take my lips today and, and may I speak words of kindness and words of compassion and words of truth. Oh, I'd really like to be greedy today. Just go after what I want and feed my ego. No, no, I'm dead to sin. Lord, please help me today to be really generous and to look out for other people and not to serve me. It's really just wake up saying, good morning, Lord Jesus. Thank you that I'm dead to sin. Thank you that I'm alive today and you, how can I serve you today? I'm a slave of God. That's the phrase that Paul uses. Verse 22, you become a slave to God. I'd love to be called a slave to God. What what a great thing for your tombstone. Paul Dale, a slave to God. Hallelujah. I'm a slave to God. He's my master, and he's gracious, and he's kind, and he's loving, and he knows what's best. I said, I want to serve him, and I can serve him. Because in Christ, I'm dead to my sin. And I'm alive in him. And so what's going to help your spiritual life stop being this spiritual roller coaster, these massive highs and these massive lows? It's just knowing who you are in Jesus. Get rid of the guilt. Look at grace. Know that in Christ, that sin has no power over you. As you struggle, as you're tempted... As you battle, just say, I'm alive in Jesus. Good morning, Lord Jesus. How can I serve you today? Let me pray. Friends, count yourselves dead to sin. But alive to God in Christ Jesus. Oh Lord God, we praise you for your Son, our Saviour. We praise you that his death was our death, that his resurrection was our resurrection. We thank you that we are in him. And we thank you for all the blessing that brings us. Thank you that sin has no power over us. Lord, give us give us the, the will to say no. Lord, I pray that sin would not reign in our mortal bodies. Uh, Lord, help us, please, to to serve our glorious Savior, to trust, to obey, for there's no other way. Lord, I pray that you would help us to to see the ways that we want to serve you, we want to obey you, we want to give you the glory. Help us to live as people who are alive, alive to you in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in his name.